Coming up this week on Breaking Badness. Today we discuss Find Your Breach. Find out what TrickBot malware and coronavirus have in common. Next up, Intel Insider Threat. Intel x86 Root of Trust. And finally, our 11th round of Two Truths and a Lie. With that, Breaking Badness is next. Welcome to Breaking Badness, episode number 39, recorded on March 9th, 2020. I'm your co-host, Kelsey Punderella LaBelle, with me co-host Chad Punderated Anderson, and last but not least, Tarek, I stick at Ponzella. <laughs> <laughs> I do. Um, I'm a little bummed because I know Chad came up with a title for you, Tarek, which was Trying to Survive the Pandemic. Oh, I know. Equally as amazing. I uh, I kind of want to recycle that one and keep that in my back pocket for later. It's just too good. It is very good. Chad's actually been on quite uh, the pun streak. Every pun you hear this episode is, you can assume the credit goes to him. Uh, that really sets everyone up for failure. <laughs> Speaking of failure, you might notice that our audio is a little bit not as fantastic as it typically is, not as great in terms of quality. We are located in Seattle, Washington, and as one could imagine, we are taking some precautions. So we're doing this old school remote. Yeah. <laughs> that was a lot of hype for the reality of recording on headphones. <laughs> I feel like truly old school would be if we recorded this on tape to tape reels. Um, Are you not doing yeah, that? Sorry. I specifically yeah. asked. <laughs> keeping it real. That would be the name. It's really keeping it real to real. Keeping it real to real. It just it just keeps going. It will it never, never end. Ends. The only thing that will end is starting with our first article, which is Find Your Breach. And I'm going to stop right there because we have to explain the genius that is Chad Anderson. Chad, can you tell us a little bit about how you came up with this title? Oh, it's very simple. You know, it's it's an important thing to know as a researcher is the slogans of all of uh, the crappiest beers on the planet. And Corona is one of those. And, and Find Your Beach is the current Corona slogan. <laughs> well, well done, Chad. Um, yeah. And so, as you might imagine, this is a topic of conversation on multiple levels. Uh, for all of us. And so a new spam campaign is underway that is preying on the fears of coronavirus or COVID-19 to target people specifically in Italy with the trick bot information stealing malware. So Sophos has done some great research in this area. And I'd love to just get right into this. And Tarek, let's maybe start with what is trick bot and what's the connection between it and the coronavirus? Yeah, so TrickBot is a uh, pretty nasty piece of malware that's been around for a while. Um, TrickBot's always kind of been associated with uh, personal banking, too. So um, a lot like um, the other uh, pretty famous, like Androbot and other uh, famous uh, banking Trojans, uh, TrickBot falls into that category of after um, you've been infected by it, it typically uh, tries to do session hijacking of any existing cookies that you might have of uh, any of your logged in bank accounts from like whitelisted sites um, and or uh, hijacking credentials. So very uh, personal banking focused. Um, but uh, TrickBot's also um, uh, a little bit more high impact than other 
uh, strictly personal banking Trojans. Um, so one thing that we've seen in the wild lately is that TrickBot has kind of evolved a little bit from just simply stealing bank accounts um, to having more rat-like capabilities. Um, so we've seen samples in the wild of TrickBot that's uh, dropping Empire or Metasploit payloads um, and even Ryuk uh, ransomware. So uh, TrickBot's been pretty broad in its capabilities and its impact. Um, and it's uh, definitely been one of the few pieces of malware that's kind of evolved dramatically in, in what it does. Um, so some of, the, uh, some of the connections that we've seen between TrickBot lately uh, and coronavirus. Um, so we've seen some really interesting uh, email campaigns that have gone out uh, from an unknown threat group at this time. Um, that was detected uh, dispersing a malicious Word document containing TrickBot um, across uh, millions of uh, different email accounts. Um, and so I was reading some statistics about it, and apparently um, there was a relatively large success rate here, um, uh, specifically up to 10% of all organizations in Italy were affected by this attack. Um, and you know, we'll talk a little bit more about what's in the email itself. Uh, but this attack was definitely targeted towards English-speaking and Italian-speaking uh, victims. Yes, thank you for that download, so to speak, Tarek. And <laughs> you set it up great. The next question I really had for you is, what are the contents of this email? Yeah, so what we saw, like analyzing the actual email itself, is that these specific threat actors are... Um, Acting uh, like how a lot of other uh, malicious fishers and uh, scammers uh, generally operate, where they take advantage of uh, panic and concern around uh, hot topics, and in this case, uh, COVID-19 or coronavirus, uh, specifically in Italy. And if you uh, haven't been aware, um, Italy is one of the highest has one of the highest infection rates of COVID-19 in the world, um, and I believe recently the government just issued a large quarantine in place, um, and so. Uh, these attackers are completely taking advantage of the situation in Italy to get, uh, you know, victims to click on, uh, you know, this email that's been sent out to them. Um, and so in order to really get the victim to open the document, the booby trap document, um, the email contains language that explains how to protect yourself against coronavirus exposure. Um, and uh, just to kind of really make it appear even more valid uh, with the signature of a supposed doctor associated with the World, World Health Organization in Italy. Um, so this is a pretty sophisticated, crafted uh, uh, spear phishing or a phishing attack um, that we've already seen some pretty high impact uh, damages come from. Tarek, it's really hard for me to hold myself back when you said, with the signature of the doctor, I just wanted to say, who? <laughs> <laughs> oh, and clearly... I have no discipline because I still did it just later. I just didn't interrupt you. Apparently, that's where the discipline came into play. <laughs> low bar, well, low bar. I love it. <laughs> All right. So, Tarek, uh, now that we've talked a little bit about what was included in that email, maybe let's talk about the full range of the attack. Can you walk us through the flow of what we're yeah. seeing here? Absolutely. So, uh, this particular uh, attack flow uh, – operates almost identical to how uh, most uh, mal-spam uh, campaigns operate, uh, where you, in this case, we had a uh, Word document uh, that was sent out uh, via email. And inside of that Word document, uh, we had uh, macros enabled. And inside of macros, which are all uh, Microsoft VBA code, um, there was uh, some dropper uh, code in there that uh, dropped two specific files, a 
uh, encoded JavaScript file and a Windows batch file. Um, and uh, after those two files were dropped on disk, um, the VBA macro code uh, beacons back to the uh, command and control for um, this particular threat actor group, um, just to notify the threat actor group that a, a successful infection occurred. Um, and then after that, that VBA code uh, executes the batch file. Um, and the batch file in this case is just um, uh, just essentially pointer language um, pointing to the obfuscated uh, JavaScript file uh, to execute that. And then once the JavaScript dropper file uh, executes that, it also initiates a beacon back to the uh, command and control to fetch um, an encrypted trickbot binary. Um, and then that JavaScript uh, dropper file um, then begins to decrypt and execute TrickBot. Uh, and then from there, we see that uh, TrickBot uh, waits for commands sent by the uh, command and control server. Um, but uh, if I were um, doing threat hunting or any kind of uh, incident response work and I found um, myself victim to this attack, uh, I would definitely expect either kind of like rat-like functionality or ransomware payloads uh, to be executed from here on out. I feel like when I see TrickBot, it it feels reminiscent of, does anybody remember, it's like late 90s, early 2000s fad, and there were little skateboards you could play with that you would ride with your fingers. Oh, the fingerboards, yeah. The fingerboards. Hmm. I feel like those could be branded TrickBots. Totally different thing, but that's what comes to mind 100% of the time. <laughs> I hear the Mystery Science Theater uh, opening theme song when they do the robot roll call. I hear that go off in my head. It's like Cambot, Trickbot, Tom Servo. No? Okay. <laughs> it was a try. No, keep going. Please keep uh, going. Uh, no, that's okay. I'm going to leave it at that. <laughs> I think we have new domain tool swag opportunities with those Trickbot boards I of yours. I think. I think so. I'm sure they would like that. <laughs> <laughs> So we've talked a lot, Tarek, about how this happens, what happens when the TrickBot is actually installed successfully. Yeah, not only is your organization affected by a malware infection, uh, but you also, uh, because of the nature of what TrickBot does and what we've seen it kind of evolve into in the wild, um, your entire organization now is affected by an attacker that has a foothold on your network. Um, in addition to that, your employees' personal information is also at risk with TrickBot since, you know, we've only we've seen TrickBot evolve as a personal information harvester uh, as well as a rat. So um, there's quite a bit of risk. Uh, I would treat um, any uh, TrickBot um, infections on your network a little bit more priority than maybe some other malware infections out there. Well said. And to pivot over to a completely different set of <laughs> concerns around coronavirus to some extent. Uh, there have been, of course, numerous attacks and campaigns harnessing this power with the epidemic in general, including, of course, um, the ever so popular phishing. So, Chad, can you tell us a little bit more about what you've learned in regards to trends and domains registered uh, that are associated with the coronavirus? Absolutely. Yeah. So in our in our day to day as security research, um, you know, we're always monitoring for whatever trends are up and coming and then trying to look at that for um, phishing domains. And a lot of that is is we monitor all of the new registrations of domains every day, which is something we're great at at Domain Tools here. So we get to see all that information flood in every day. Um, and it went from being initially just a handful of coronavirus domains um, to now there's thousands being registered every day, which is 
um, really interesting. And, and a lot of them are already being picked up by uh, fishing campaigns that we already watch from people that we know that have been you know successful for a while. Um, so it seems that people are um, hopping into this like they you know normally would a new Apple domain or a new uh, you know. Um, mobile phone billing scam domain or something like that, but they they very quickly hopped on it um, for phishing. So, of course, one of the things we like to discuss on this podcast is recommendations for what we should be doing as organizations to try to keep our uh, customers safe, whether that's our external customers or internal customers, etc. So, I'm going to ask both of you what those recommendations might look like to defend against these types of campaigns during a really high anxiety health climate. Yeah, you know, CERT sent out an email that um, I would say you have to go with their recommendations. It's it's the basic stuff. Only trust government and research institutions' websites. Don't click on anything uh, in your email that's um, health-related that you don't expect to be there. It's just really all the basic phishing stuff. Uh, you just have to be aware that um, people are just trying to capitalize on fear here as much as possible. Um, it's all about getting that click-through, I guess, and uh, then they can um, drop something or steal your credentials. Yeah, and I think as you know, as security professionals, it's our job to you know follow like kind of a chat and sort uh, recommended on like the you know watch out for specific kind of language and and, and emails and not trusting uh, emails from people you don't know. But I think also as security professionals, it's really on us to like implement technical controls that can uh, help uh, deliver that one-two punch. So things like having a sophisticated behavioral-based antivirus program. Um, is almost mandatory at this point. Nothing signature-based, signatures very much like the early 2000s, um, easily bypassable. Um, so things like Windows Defender with Cloud Protect enabled is great because it's a free program um, and it's actually reasonably effective as well. Um, and you know, as security people, if you have a Windows environment and you have the time and resources, I'm also a huge fan of deploying AppLocker for binary whitelisting and blacklisting um, in your Windows environments for even, even more additional layers of security. Cool. And this segue is really well into what we do at the end of every article, which is our hoodie rating. And if this is the first time that you're listening into our podcast or you've forgotten this delightful cliched system, um, we're poking fun a little bit about the, the cliched image of a hacker in a hoodie in a dark room, somehow wearing a ski mask. Um, and we're putting a scale together from zero to 10 hoodies of how basically how many people would it take, how many hackers would it take to solve um, how, how concerned, how urgent is this issue, essentially? So zero is it's laughable, maybe a good water cooler story. And 10 is why are you still listening to this podcast? You have a fire to put out. <laughs> and we, of course, like to, to play with some fun ways to chop up a hoodie. We've done some midriff hoodies to represent half hoodies. Um, Chad, I feel like you've done some really creative things with the hoodie yourself and your dad. Yeah, I've been doing a lot of thinking about different hoodies I want for different times of year, you know, um, so it's important. Very important. Summer's coming. You can't always have a full hoodie. <laughs> well, on that note, Chad, no pressure after you've just set yourself up for that in sort of this spring forward hoodie time. What would you rate this, uh, this particular attack that Targ was sharing with us uh, for mail spam campaign? Yeah, you know, I think uh, last night I would have rated this a, a little bit higher, but um, because of today, we we lost a part of the hoodie um, when we left Ford. 
Um, so uh, I say it's a seven out of ten. <laughs> That's a, um, but uh, yeah, I say it's seven out of ten. This is this is with the. Um, it's the regular den of everything that's going on. You know, there's always there's always some attacker trying to, um, you know, to get you to click through on something and drop some malware. And TrickBot is super, uh, super dangerous, you know. But it's it, this is just always what's going on on the Internet now, you know. And I'd say just keep it at the rating that I always would for this. What do you think, Tarek? Yeah, you know, I'm going to give this one maybe slightly less. Uh, I'm going to give this one a 6 out of 10. Trick, this specific campaign and this attack uh, workflow uh, is pretty boilerplate at this point. Um, there's no exploits involved. Uh, we're dealing with everything in the user space. Um, so from an organizational defense perspective, most organizations should have reasonable controls in place to prevent this attack. Um, that being said, the reason why it's still at least six or seven out of 10 is that um, you know, for attacking personal individuals, um, this attack is still uh, going to be a lot more reasonably effective, uh, effective. And we can tell that too, from the, you know, 10% of all Italian organizations have been affected by this already. So I give this a six out of 10, six and a half out of 10. Thank you both for your insight on potentially how to defend against these types of things and to give us a, rel- a relative sense of urgency And with that, I'd like to shift over to our second article, which is Intel Insider Threat. Intel um, x86 Root of Trust. And this is once again Chad's delightful play uh, off particular marketing taglines. Is that correct, Chad? Oh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Intel Inside. So I can still hear it every every time I see the logo. I was just going to say, I don't know if we can believe you unless you do the noise from the commercials. Oh, that's okay. I'm going (laughs) to... This is the time to do it, Chad. We're doing these on crappy headphones, not in our beautiful audio equipment. So, you know, it might even just get lost in the internet. I just did it. I think it just cut out. Oh, sure. Were you not able to hear that? It was perfectly perfectly pitched. It was amazing. (laughs) It's phenomenal. (laughs) Tarek and I don't believe you. All right. Well, it was worth a shot. (laughs) So a vulnerability has been found in the ROM the Intel Converged Security and Management Engine, the CSME. So this vulnerability jeopardizes everything Intel has done to build the root of trust and lay a solid security foundation on the company's platforms. So, Chad, for starters, what what is so concerning about this vulnerability? Because that was a, a heck of an intro. Sounds quite bad. <laughs> yeah, so the this underpins... Um, a lot of the trusted technology um, that that we have today, you know, so it's it's a it's a hardware bug. Um, so things like your secure boot um, rely on it. Things like digital rights management, like what allows um, folks like Net- Netflix to you know bring video content to you that's protected from the media companies. Um, you know, it verifies computer's firmware. Um, it's a part of uh, the security keys for the trusted platform module or the TPM chip. The TPM chip, for instance, relies on this boot ROM. And so it also takes care of password protection and disk encryption. So pretty much everything that relies on some secure technology is vulnerable here. I would like to do a security fashion show where there's ransomware, and then I'd like for us to wear secure boots, which are just boots with lots of locks and keys on them. <laughs> Do you think that's something that we could make happen? I think that's a terrible idea. <laughs> that makes me want to go forward with it even more. Excellent. <laughs> so, Chad, getting into this a little bit more, what what should we know about the vulnerability itself? 
Yeah, so to deep dive a little bit more, uh, it deals with the boot ROM or the read-only memory. Um, it's the part of the Intel Converged Security and Management Engine. Um, and the Intel Management Engine is kind of like this, um, best way to think of it as a separate subprocessor for your computer um, that's entirely protected from the rest of the system. And that, that extra subprocessor, it's, it's even on when um, your computer's turned off, as long as the power is plugged in. Um, and it handles lots of different things. And one of those is the protected security functions. Um, it handles reading the chipset keys that are used to verify all the firmware that runs your hardware. It's the walled fortress that keeps all of your hardware secure and then is also used by all of the, um, you know, security functions that are part of your OS, you know, anything that's that's pulling these secure keys. Um, so the ability to modify that boot ROM or have it load um, firmware that isn't um, verified by the system breaks security entirely for the rest um, of, the, of the machine. So because you can load untrusted code like at the hardware level. Um, so it's a big hardware bug that's pretty much unfixable um, without getting some new hardware. Right now, there's only one chipset, I think it's a Generation 10, that is not um, vulnerable. Or Well, unless, of course, you're running AMD or, say, ARM or something like that. But um, it, it basically means nothing is secure then. Uh, the only upside here being that the exploitation of this vulnerability from what the researchers have put out requires either local or physical access, so there's nothing remote to worry about. Um, and they've also submitted some um, POCs and patches to Intel, uh, but they believe that there's a bunch of other attack vectors. They've only gone in through um, one subsystem so far. So, Speaking of these researchers, how was the vulnerability discovered? And do we know whether or not it's been exploited at this point? Um, so the the folks from Positive Technologies who did the research on this, I thought this quote was great uh, just at the end of their paper was, uh, we would discover this mistake by simply reading the documentation, as unimpressive as that may sound. Uh, so uh, I just, I love that as the line. Uh, they just read the docs and it was right there. Um, so as far as I've heard, it's not being exploited in the wild and I haven't seen it uh, anywhere yet. But uh, it's just another example of one of those big, chipset bugs that though it's a big deal and will be fixed in time you know it's up there with uh what have we got meltdown specter and all of those um what is and all the other ridiculous names that have come along um so but they take a bit of sophistication to exploit so it's a you know big deal but take some smarts kind of a mixed bag in that case mm -hmm. um so what is the it feels ridiculous to say this entire name, but I'm going to say it. What is the Intel Converged Security and Management Engine used? Where and what does this mean in terms of the number of impacted organizations? So yes, every Intel chipset outside of the Generation 10 uh, chipset. So um, basically, it's impacting everyone unless they're running like AMD or ARM. Um, that's that's about all there is to it, really. Otherwise, it'd be an arms race. Yeah, that's true. I mean, they, I guess it kind of has been an arms race. Arm keeps catching up um, <laughs> all the time. So, Chad, what can be done about this? Uh, I'm, so I'm not, uh, you know, as knowledgeable on this hardware um, type security. and I, But I don't believe that Intel can update that boot ROM without getting you new hardware altogether. Um, and I don't think there's any shim they could do with, like, something with how it's loading firmware or whatever, um, at least not that I've read about or that I would understand the workings of. Uh, so we'll have to see and wait on recommendations from Intel when that comes out. I think this is going to be a big deal where um, – 
you know, people do who who care about that level of security are going to have to be replacing machines. Um, but I think the most practical use for this and what's going to be most interesting is to uh, attack DRM. But that might just be me thinking back to DCSS and how epic that was for us in the hacking community when um, we could just like strip the DRM off of DVDs back in the day. So, um, but that that's that seems to be like what people use these kind of underlying security flaws for. I mean, I'm sure someone will do something more malicious with it, but that's the uh, practical day-to-day application. So it kind of gives the control back over to the the um, owners of the machines instead of the chipset manufacturer. Chad, you have brought up reels, tapes, DVDs. If you don't find a way to incorporate vinyl into this conversation, I'll be very upset. I'm also going to bring up Betamax before we're done here. That's actually part of the two truths and a lie, I believe, is there? there's a Betamax uh, returning uh, truth is what it is. Definitely a truth. <laughs> You're setting me up for failure here, Chad. Okay. <laughs> well, before before we get into our game, Tarek, let's start with you for the hoodie ratings here. Yeah, so... I'm going to give this one a nice nine out of 10. Uh, I think the only way it would become 10 out of 10 is if there was like a uh, remote execution property of this vulnerability. Uh, but exactly what Chad said, we have all these, you know, we're all dependent on a tier one piece of hardware, um, you know, that's affected by this vulnerability. And so it's not like software necessarily where you can, you know, deploy software fixes necessarily. Like with Meltdown Inspector, there were some software mitigations that could happen, but I believe it was at a, uh, a cost of a, like a 25% uh, CPU IO performance impact, which is tremendous. Um, so without understanding what mitigations there are, uh, this one's going to be a solid 9 out of 10. Uh, but I hope that Intel uses this bug, uh, along with the uh, Meltdown Inspector, as reasons to invest way more in their um you know, security engineering side of the house for their hardware level stuff. Awesome. And Chad, what do you think? Yeah, I would put it up there with 9 out of 10. It, it kind of reminds me of those those bugs that'll just be exploitable for a very long time and probably, probably usable in some way or another on systems. Like there's a lot of... Um, uh, Linux privilege escalation bugs over the years, or like anything where if you have local access, you're pretty much guaranteed to take over the system. Um, and it's it's another one of those. You know, it's a 9 out of 10. So so much optimism today on breaking badness. <laughs> <laughs> Things are on fire. Nothing has changed. Yeah, Coming we haven't cool. broke anything today. <laughs> Yet. Yeah, Speak for yourself. Had, yeah. Well, I took down production earlier, but other than that... <laughs> Well, thank you both for your insight into these two pieces, and let's let's have some fun. We need some levity in our lives. It'll help fight the virus. Um, so the game that we play every episode is Two Truths and a Lie. Um, it's, as you imagine, similar to the childhood game, Two Truths and a Lie. Um, instead, we're replacing stories about ourselves with article titles, two of which are true. One is a lie. Um, and we're all trying to let's say, mischievously make fools out of one another. And this week, it's my turn um, to try and shock Chad and Tarek into making the incorrect guess. So here are this week's articles. Are you two ready? Let's do this. All right. 
Facebook users being locked out after reporting fake accounts. Next up, unsafe WordPress plugin installed on nearly 200,000 sites. And Is that finally, title every week? Oh my goodness. <laughs> I may or may not be baiting Tarek, but time will tell. Um, finally, TrickBot Trojan abuses Google Suite, baits with annual bonuses. Oh boy. So uh, say the TrickBot one one more time. TrickBot Trojan abuses Google Suite, baits with annual bonuses. Well, Chad, do you want to go first or you want me to take a crack at it? Um, no, I'll go first. I'm going to go with, uh, you know, I'm, I just got to go with two. But, I mean, it's just because it, maybe that's not actually even – it might be a lie in that, like, you know, it was actually just 1,900 installs. But I feel like every week there's some WordPress thing that happens. But I, I just – maybe the number's inaccurate. That's what I'm going to go with on that one. So I'm going to go with two. <laughs> See, 200,000. I mean, that is very, really realistic with WordPress oh, and plugins. I thought it was 2,000. No, 200,000. Wait, was it? 200,000. That being said, you already picked. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I'll, okay, I'll stick. It's like the chess move. Once you once you let go of the piece, you know, it's, it's in. That's right. You already hit the uh, little timer button on the right. Uh, yeah. I'm going to – now, I think Kelsey's trying to lure me with TrickBot. Uh, that being said, I'm going to go with a Facebook account one. Mm. Final answer. Good choice. Oh, you're going to win, Chad. I already know. <laughs> hmm. Which one is the lie? It's the WordPress plugin. <laughs> <laughs> it was a much smaller number, but yeah, the other two were correct. I tried to pull, I tried to mess with you all with the trick bot. Um, hoping that it would be too too good to be true with the conversation today, but there it is. I think there Chad's on a, a huge winning streak right now. He is. I'm on fire. It is yeah. upsetting. <laughs> He's unstoppable. Kelsey, we need to join forces and stop him now. I know, but he re- he's in our heads. <laughs> I, I am fake how. news. <laughs> <laughs> He's so plugged in the matrix right now. It's true. It's true. We've got to beware of beware of the Chad. Oh, That's what boy. they say. That's what they say. They do they do say that, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, I want to thank you both for doing this episode remote. I know it's not as cush as our typical gig in our white walled studio, as delightful and bright as it might be. <laughs> I and thank you listeners for sticking with us as this is a little bit lower quality than we prefer to put out there but we just want to make sure we're keeping everybody in the loop as we try to stay safe over here in seattle washington so with that we'll be back here next week with another episode Um, if you didn't get a chance i'd recommend taking a listen for the human element miniseries we spoke with folks from all different places in the security industry They had a lot of great input. There are actually a total of nine interviews, um, and that's the Human Element miniseries, and it's inclusive of people that were both at RSA and B-Side San Francisco. So I just want to thank everybody for their time and say stay safe out there. That's about all we have for this week. You can find us on Twitter, at Domain Tools. 
All of the articles and IOCs mentioned today will be included in our blog post, which can be found at domaintools.com slash resources slash podcasts. Catch us every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific time when we publish our podcast and blog. That's all we have for this week. We'll see you next week on another episode of Breaking Badness. Until then, remember, don't drink and click.